So, why is crucifixion important? Why is the cross important? The New Testament record is, is crystal clear. Christianity began really with a cross. But why a cross? Is the cross itself important? We see it on the tops of buildings. We see it inside buildings. We see all kinds of crosses in different churches. Some of them have uh, a statue uh, designed to look like Jesus suffering on the cross. Some of them have blank crosses. Some of them, like ours, have um, have lighting uh, designed to accentuate them. What is it with the cross? What is it with Christians and the cross? Why is the cross important? We are in this conversation looking at uh, who Jesus is. Normally in here what we talk about is what Jesus is teaching us. We look at us and what Jesus is teaching, how we can be more like the people that God designed us to be. So normally we look at what Jesus has to teach us. But what we've been doing um, the last couple of weeks is looking at who Jesus is. I mean, if we're going to pay any attention to what he's teaching us, we should remind ourselves periodically who Jesus is. And our conversation partner uh, in this in this exercise is uh, is a document called the Apostles' Creed. This is the Apostles' Creed. It was written uh, during the period of time between the second and eighth centuries. So over a course of six centuries, it got various changes. But by the eighth century, it had reached its current form. And what it was was a document where people in the church uh, from all over uh, Asia and Africa and um, Europe had said, these are the things we need to remember about Jesus. And, and well, uh, the middle parts about Jesus, the first parts about God the Father, and the third parts about the Holy Spirit. So we're looking at the middle part. And so this this is our conversation partner. This is the thing that, that you know, if Christians don't agree on anything, this is what we agree on more than most things. So, so we disagree about all kinds of stuff, um, too many things. But this is something that Christians for um, you know 15, uh, 15 or eighteen centuries have been have been generally uh, uh, agreeing on, and we began um, last week by looking at um, or we began two weeks ago looking at I know that's small so um, we looked at the the idea that Jesus is the Son of God and. Um, uh, last week we looked at the idea that Jesus was uh, conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And today we're going to look at that section, suffered under Pontius Pilate and was crucified. Suffered under Pontius Pilate and was crucified. Why is this important? Why does the Apostles' Creed stress these two things? What is what is important about Pontius Pilate and the cross? I mean, it's certainly biblical. It's in the it's in the New Testament. It's in all four of the biographies of Jesus. It's it's uh, you know it's it's at great length in in each of them, and it's also in uh, most of the other uh, New Testament documents. So we know we know it's important to the writers of the New Testament. But but is there some reason why we should remember that in addition to all the other things we might remember? Short of short of memorizing the entire New Testament, is there something important about this idea? So that's what we're going to talk about today, and we see that it is in um, all of the. New Testament records. Um, we see it, for example, in, in John's biography. It's in, it's in all of them, but, um, in John's biography, we read, the Jewish leaders led Jesus from Caiaphas to the Roman governor's, um, palace. It was early in the morning. So that they could eat the Passover, the Jewish leaders wouldn't enter the palace. Entering the palace would have made them ritually impure. So Pilate went out to them and Ask what charge do you bring against this man? So Pilate goes out to them that this is not just simply uh, an argument within the the 
uh, Jewish religion within the, the temple authorities. Um, it wasn't anything, it wasn't simply constrained to them. It actually uh, reached out to the civil government that Rome ran. So uh, what we remember in the Apostles' Creed is that this was not simply about the Jews. This was something that the authorities had to do with too, namely Pilate, the governor. So, um, so it goes on, John goes on, he says, then, uh, this is a little bit later, he says, Pilate had Jesus taken and whipped. He's he's trying to see if the crowd would be appeased with a lesser punishment. Because they had asked for crucifixion, and he's saying, well, maybe they'll be satisfied if I just have him really um, uh, beat up. So he had Pilate, uh, Pilate had Jesus taken and whipped, and the soldiers uh, twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they dressed him in a purple robe, and um, over and over they went up to him and said, Greetings, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. And then Pilate brings him out of the palace, uh, Jesus with with Pilate, um, out uh, where people can see him. And he says, "Um, look, I'm bringing him out to you to know that I find no grounds for a charge against him. So he says, I don't think he's guilty, but are you going to be satisfied now that you can see what we've done to him in here? And they aren't. So Pilate, because he's weak, hands Jesus over to be crucified. And the soldiers, the, could you there, Lord knows where we're at now, it's ignoring me. So they took him out to be crucified. The soldiers took um, Jesus prisoner carrying his cross by himself um, they took him to a place called Skull Place in Aramaic Golgotha. That's where they crucified him. And two others with him, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a public notice uh, written and posted on the cross. It read, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. So that's typical. I mean, it's it's uh, it more length uh, in, in John's biography. I abbreviated it very much. It's more like what we read in Mark or Matthew or Luke. But but this is very very uh, similar. The stories are, are very close because there was there was something that happened, and they're all recording it from different perspectives. So it's it's not arguable in the sense that the New Testament is very clear that Jesus was crucified, and the person who was in charge, the person who had the authority to execute him was Pontius Pilate. And it's interesting, you know, Pilate is an interesting character. There's hardly anything about him in in uh the, known to history except what's in the New Testament. Um he's he's uh he figures in uh, there's two other uh contemporary writers, people who wrote at the time of the Bible, um who wrote a couple of sentences each about Pilate, but I mean only a few sentences. And uh a couple of, uh, or several decades later, uh, two other, uh, a couple of other writers uh, said a, a few paragraphs about Pilate, but we don't know almost anything about him. Supposedly, what happened a couple of years after this event, Pilate was summoned back to Rome. The the regional the regional governor, the person, his boss, said, "All right, I've had it with you. You're causing too many trouble troubles for us in Judea. Um, so I'm sending you back to Rome, and you can talk to the emperor about this." Right, so we, we he apparently was relieved of his authority and sent back to Rome. We don't know what happened when he got to Rome. I mean, there's no record of that. There's very little information known to history about uh, Pontius Pilate. In fact, we don't even know his first name. You know, if you think about the Romans, right? We hear about Gaius Julius Caesar, right? His first name is Gaius. 
His second name is Julius, and his last name is Caesar, right? Gaius Julius Caesar. All we know is something or other Pontius Pilate. We don't even know his first name. That's how little we know about Pontius Pilate. In fact, pretty much the, the bulk of what history knows about Pontius Pilate is in the New Testament. Um, uh, for, for a long time, they said, well, there's not even inscriptions written on, on walls. You know, most governors would carve all kinds of stuff on walls to say how great they were. There was nothing to be found for Pontius Pilate. And in fact, in the 1960s, they finally found some. Uh, there had been a, a, a piece of... Uh, uh, wall that had fallen into the harbor in Caesarea, and it was covered up by silt and so forth, and they finally discovered it in the 1960s. It's the only known inscription that talks about Pontius Pilate. He's this mystery figure. Almost everything we know about Pontius Pilate is in the New Testament. And that's why Pilate's mentioned in the Apostles' Creed, to remind us that Jesus' crucifixion, his death and crucifixion, is not some mist in the past, a mythological story about something that happened once upon a time. It was an actual event that took place in history under a particular person who who was the governor for a particular span of time. So it is a historical event. And in fact, the most history knows about it is what we find in the New Testament. The crucifixion, the cross, is, if nothing else, it is a historical event. So, Pontius Pilate is mentioned because he reminds us that this was not some fable, some uh, philosophical system. Christianity is not a belief system. Christianity is an announcement of good news based on a historical event, the good news that comes from this historical event. So, the fact that Pilate is mentioned is a reminder this is good news about something that happened in history. So that's why they mentioned Pilate. But why the cross? What is it with the cross? The cross is mentioned 68 times in the New Testament. 68 times uh, the word for cross or crucify is mentioned in the New Testament. And that's really amazing because it was a dirty word. It was a word you did not use in polite society. It was, you know, we might think today the N-word or some particular swear. We might, we might imagine if you were reading the New Testament and 68 times it said gas chamber or it said gallows. That's how awkward it would be to read the New Testament in the first century. It's like we don't talk about the cross. I mean, we know, we, we know that, you know, yeah, we know about them, but we don't like to mention them in polite conversation. The cross is an ugly word. So why why do they talk about the cross? See, today, today we have crosses that are that are beautiful, that are that are you know on the tops of buildings and so forth. We've sanitized the cross, we've made it pretty. But in the first century, the cross was ugly. In fact, it was several centuries before the Christian movement ever depicted the cross in art. That that there's no surviving art from the second century or first century that shows the cross as a, in in art. They just kind of said we don't like to talk about the cross. I mean, we know it's there, but there's no way to make it pretty. And only distance, only only our uh, uh, lack of acquaintance with with um, what the cross really was makes it possible for us to have jewelry or uh, uh, decorations in our building that are. Uh, a cross or a crucifix, and and that the, the reason for that is the cross was in the first century it was a shameful curse. 
if if the crucifixion was on TV, it would have it would be blurred, and they would say viewer advisory because it was an ugly thing. The cross was a shameful curse. In the the time of the Old Testament writings, in the book of Deuteronomy, we read that if somebody was guilty of a capital crime, so in the the context of the first uh, of the of the Old Testament, uh, there were a number of crimes that were envisioned to be to be uh, capital crimes. So there were some of them you could you could execute somebody for, and if somebody was guilty of one of those, and they are executed, and you hang them on the tree, so so there there were particular crimes that were so heinous that you wanted to exhibit them to other people. You wanted this to be a warning to other people. So after you executed them, you'd hang them up on a tree so everybody could see. And the whole lesson there was don't be like this guy. You don't want to wind up where he wound up. That was the whole reason they did that. And it said, if you do that, do not leave the body hanging on the tree, but bury it the same day because God's curse is on those who are hanged. The idea was that you would bring disrepute into your community by exhibiting that body. That 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 was something that, uh, um, unlike some of the neighboring cultures, you couldn't just leave them there to rot. You actually had to bury them that same day. So that was the thinking in in the Old Testament time frame. Uh, by the time of uh, Christ in the first century, that had changed. The the Persians, one of the neighboring cultures, the Persians, um, made a practice of crucifixing, uh, of, of crucifying people when they were alive, and then the Greeks adopted that, and they they passed it on to the Romans. Who, you know, if you think about the Romans, what were the Romans famous for? They were per- famous for for tinkering and fixing and building things. They built the roads. They built the aqueducts. The Romans said, "We can make this perfect. We can make this the ultimate." instrument of a grisly, gruesome, horrible, slow, agonizing death. And so Paul says, this is, this is the problem I have when I talk about the gospel. When I talk about the good news about Jesus, people say, I was with you right up until you said crucifix, crucified, cross. He says, Jews ask for signs and Greeks look for wisdom, and I can give them that. But then then I get to cross. We preach Christ crucified, which is a scandal to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. They would check out. They would say, look, the cross is too ugly. There's no way a good God would have anything to do with a cross. It's just more than they could handle. It was like, nope, not going to go there. Paul says, that's the point. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written... Everyone who is hung on a tree is cursed. He says, he became a curse for us. That we are, like we heard in our song, we are the ones who should be hanging on that tree. What we've done is heinous because we turned our backs on God. We turned our source, our backs on the source of goodness. And that maybe we haven't gone as far in that direction as other people. But we did the most important thing. We turned our back on light and life. He says, and because of that, we should be the ones up on the tree. But instead, Christ became the one in the tree. He became a curse for us. He took it all on himself. So, why? The reason is that Jesus came to redeem all of creation. Jesus didn't come to to rescue the good people. Jesus didn't come to, to save the people who are most worthy of being saved. Jesus came to save the world. We get a hint of this at Christmas, right? Jesus comes 
and is born in a barn. He's not born in a palace. He's the king of the world, but he's born in a barn. He's lying there with the smell of manure all around him. He's born to a poor family. He lives his life in poverty. So we get a hint of this at Christmas. But that's all we get at Christmas because we cannot fathom what Jesus left to come here. It's like, I don't, I can't get my head wrapped around the glory of God in, in eternity. It's beyond me. So I don't really quite get Christmas. It's like, okay, he came quite a ways to save the world. But at the cross, we see how far Jesus came. Jesus came all the way down. Jesus went to the very bottom so that he could lift up not just a few you know, deserving people, but to lift up all of creation. Jesus went to the bottom. So there's nobody who can say, well, yeah, but I'm too far gone. God can't, God can't do anything with me because I'm hopeless. I, you know, if you knew my story, if you heard what had happened to me, if you heard what I did, I'm, I'm, I'm a lost cause. The point of the cross is to remind us that Jesus went all the way to the bottom. There's nobody who is beyond God's reach. And because of that, because of that, the cross is not merely a curse. The cross is a triumph. The cross is a triumph. Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians, he says, he says, thanks be to God who gives us this victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, this is something that's already happened. This is good news. This event occurred, and in it, God won the most important victory of all. God gave us this victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What is the victory? The Apostle John writes in his letter, first letter, he says, the person who practices sin belongs to the devil because the devil has been sinning since the beginning. He says, he says this, is, this is where sin comes from, that people are led into sin by the devil. And God's Son appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil, to destroy the power the devil has to entice us into sin. He says, this is what Jesus did. This is the victory. How did he do that? He destroyed the record of the debt we owed with its requirements that worked against us. He canceled it by nailing it to the cross. The idea is that the sin of the world was attached to Jesus, and it stayed at the cross. It was destroyed. God poured out his wrath on the sin. Jesus died, and he rose but the sin was utterly destroyed. He destroyed the record of the debt we owed with its requirements that worked against us. He canceled it by nailing it to the cross. But more than that, he says, he, by doing so, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities. Who are the rulers and the authorities? The rulers and the authorities are the unseen spiritual forces that work in the world. If you've ever looked at somebody and said, why are you that way? You know, you know who hurt you? Or, or what makes you that way? There was a video that went around a, a couple of weeks ago. It was a woman singing a little poem about if I had been Vladimir Putin's mother, right? She had this idea that she could have changed him somehow, that, that if only he had had a better childhood, he would be a better person. There's this, this, uh, I think kind of an arrogant attitude that, that I can understand what made Vladimir Putin who he is. And, you know, maybe he did have a bad childhood. I don't know his story, right? But, the idea here is that behind that, 
Why did he have a bad childhood if he did? Why? What makes him that way? And the answer is rulers and authorities, that behind every human sin, every bit of human brokenness, somewhere there is the unseen forces in the spiritual realm. And Jesus has disarmed them. Not only that, he not only disarmed them, he exposed them to public disgrace by leading them in a triumphal parade. In the, in the first century, the triumph, you won a battle. What did you do? You took prisoners and you brought them back to your capital and showed them off. What a great general I am. Jesus took captive the unseen forces. The idea here is Jesus didn't just go to the bottom to rescue us, to haul us to safety. Jesus went to the bottom and hauled us to safety, but in doing so, he changed us. He transformed us. What what does John say? The person who practices sin belongs to the devil, but we no longer belong to the devil. We don't have to practice sin anymore. Jesus has transformed us. He didn't just rescue us once. Jesus transforms us, and he transforms the world by disarming the devil. But last and maybe best of all, the cross is a symbol of God's love. Jesus says this when he's having his conversation with Nicodemus and John. Right right before he says, God so loved the world, he says this, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the human one, so Jesus must be lifted up so everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. The the idea was in in the in the Hebrew scriptures that uh the the people of God had sinned and God sent snakes to bite them. But if they looked at the 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 figure of the snake that had been put up on a stick then uh, on a pole, then they would be saved. The idea was to look at to look at the the God, the, the symbol of the God who could save them. Because God did not hate them, God loved them. That was the idea. And Jesus says, like that, he has to be lifted up. He has to be lifted up on a cross so people can see him and be remember, remember what God has done. Just as Moses lifted up the snake, so the human one must be lifted up. So everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. And John writes in that same letter we heard earlier, he says, if you do sin, Right, the the power of of the devil to to uh, make us sin has been destroyed. But if you do, if you do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is God's way of dealing with our sins, not only ours, but the sins of the whole world. That Jesus does this because God loves you and He loves the world. But my favorite example of this in the New Testament comes from. Ephesians. Paul is writing a letter to uh, the people in Ephesus, and he says, I ask, uh, this is my prayer, what, what I ask for in my prayers, I ask that you'll have the power to grasp love's width and length, height and depth, together with all believers. And going back to the 4th century, there was a writer then named uh, Rufinus, and maybe earlier than this, people said this is a symbol of the cross, that Jesus has his arms spread wide, to embrace the whole world, that Jesus looks at us from the cross, raised up high on the cross, his arms spread wide. He's symbolic of the love of God. It is God saying, I know, I know you're a sinner. Yeah, I know that. You're a terrible sinner. But I love you. Let me give you a hug. So when you look to the cross, remember, it is 
it is a shameful curse because Jesus came to rescue all all people, the entire world. Jesus, there's nobody too far gone. The cross symbolizes that. The cross is a triumph. Our sins and the power of the devil were nailed to the cross and God poured out his wrath on them. And this cross is a symbol of God's love. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, the fact that we can look at a cross today without wincing is a sign of what you are doing through the cross, taking something ugly and horrible and turning it into a piece of art or a piece of jewelry. You are turning all the ugliness in this world into something beautiful. Lord, when we look at a cross, when we see a cross, help us to remember how far Jesus went and how much he has done on our behalf. Help us to remember, most of all, your love for us. We pray this in his holy name. Amen.